I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey everyone, welcome to Let's Get Civical. This is the podcast that breaks down politics, government structure, and dives into the context of current events, but in a super fun way. I'm Lizzie Stewart, comedian, feminist, and political junkie. And I'm Arden Walentowski, former Senate intern, campaign staffer, and political strategist. In this episode, we're talking about the Voting Rights Act. So grab your voting examiner. And let's get civical. And adieu. Adieu, adieu, adieu. To you and you and you. Uh, to you and you and you. Welcome back to Let's Get Civical. I'm Lizzie Stewart. And I'm Arden Walentowski. And fall is falling, ladies and gentlemen. Fall has arrived. She is here. She is here. Make way for the queen of fall. Yes. What I love about you, Arden, is like when the when the weather gets cold, you just immediately start listening to Christmas music. <laughs> oh, 100%. The minute that there is a like a the breeze has a hint of, you know, chilliness. I'm like, oh, 
Bing oh. Crosby, here we come. Here we go. <laughs> Have a holly jolly Christmas, October. Well, that's right. I do love you. Just you skip over Halloween. You skip over Thanksgiving, and you're just like, I'm here for Christmas. For Christmas. <laughs> My days are spent waiting for the Christmas holiday. It's I do skip over Halloween because I feel like we're going to lose listeners over this statement. I hate Halloween. Oh, wow. I didn't know that about you. Yeah. I have. Like, what a about lot of, it do you hate? Part of it is like childhood trauma of like being. I just was not like a I don't know. I just always felt like everybody's costumes are always better than mine. I like, sure. you know, like I always felt like, I don't know. It was just like a competitive holiday for me. And I never liked that. And so I think that's why I don't like dressing up. But also, I feel like in New York City, Halloween, I mean, I'm sure other places too, but like Halloween is all about like, let's get fucking tanked and walk sure, around sure, sure. in slutty shit. And I'm like, I don't have the energy. I don't, I don't it's have the too time. cold. It is too cold to wear no clothes. Too cold. And I do not need a, you know, witch costume to finish a bottle of wine. I am sorry. I am more adult I, than that. <laughs> I can do that with my in my own skin. That's right. That's right. I I I like I like the spirit of Halloween. Like I love yeah. Halloween decorations. I love Halloween mm. movies. Yes. Like so I like the the aesthetic, the ambiance. Yeah. But I'm also with you. I'm not necessarily a huge costume person. Yes. And I like if there was like like a mat like a like a really good costume party. Like, mm-hmm. have you ever seen Hocus Pocus? No, never heard. Never heard. Are you joking? <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm gonna joking. literally kill you. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> well, because you just like went on this rant about how you don't like Halloween, and so like it's true. it was up in the air for me. It's okay, true. so no, in Hocus I... Pocus, yeah. the party that the parents are at, like yes. where where Bette Midler shows up and like does I'm I put a spell on you, mm-hmm. that is the kind of party I would want to go to. But that is not the kind of part. Like yeah. I I'm not the person who has curated the friend group who would have access to that type of party. Like Ditto. like well done. Yeah, everybody comes in like really amazing costumes. It's more of like a dancing thing and not about like let's just get like super hammered. Yeah, that I would be super into. That I would be into too. Alas, yep. alas. Yep. Okay, so I'm not gonna say Happy Halloween yet. I will say Happy Halloween on our next episode because that's Great. the one that will come out right before Halloween. So Happy pre-Halloween, everybody. Happy we pre-Halloween. Are, we're like in. We are in the depths of the Halloween ambiance. So yes. I hope everybody is enjoying the spirit of Halloween. And the episode that we're doing today has truly nothing to do with that. <laughs> nothing it to has, do with that. Um, no. But everything to do with the election. The second scariest day of the year. <laughs> the second scariest day of the year, which is November 3rd. Um, <laughs> so today we're talking about the Voting Rights Act. Big act. A lot of history. Yeah. It somehow in, also has become such a huge thing in our modern history as well, aka like today. Yep. So we thought, let's just carve out that pumpkin and see what's on the inside. Scoop out those seeds and see what they look like. Scooping it out, scooping it out. So let's jump right in. And before we do, just remember that if you like what you hear, you can rate us, you can review us, and you can subscribe to us because it will make us so happy. I will float away. So (laughs) let's start with 
what led to the Voting Rights Act. I love it. Get, mm-hmm. Set the stage for me. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. For us. Yeah. So these notes are coming from youguessedithistory.com. The Department of Justice, crazy place right now, and a New York Times article written by Adam Liptak, who we've actually, we've done, we've quoted him several times. We've quoted him, yeah, he, uh, he's like their, their political writer, he's great. So jumping right in, uh, this is coming from the Department of Justice. Before the Civil War, the United States Constitution did not provide specific protections for voting. What a shock i'm shook i I am unwell i don't feel safe i can't Mm -mm. even believe that the constitution did not provide specific protections for voting i feel unseen i feel unheard i feel unsafe exactly right qualifications for voting were matters which neither the constitution nor federal law governed right so this is also from the department of justice website yes Correct. Correct. Like by their own admission, they're like, it blew. It blew. Nobody was dealing with this. At that time, although a few northern states permitted a small number of free black men to register and vote, slavery and restrictive state laws and practices led to the franchise to be exercised almost exclusively by, you guessed it, white males. (gasps) Lizzie, I simply cannot believe I don't know what's real and what's fake anymore, quite honestly. U dot S dot prioritizes white males. White Unheard males. Of. Unheard Never of. heard of it. Continuing on. After the Civil War, the 15th Amendment ratified in 1870 prohibited states from denying a male citizen the right to vote based on, quote, race, color, or previous condition of servitude. Nevertheless, in the ensuing decades, various discriminatory practices were used to prevent African Americans, particularly those in the South, from exercising their right to vote. So we see like Jim Crow laws popping yeah. up. Yeah. See all sorts of shit popping up, even though yeah. legally they were granted the right to vote with the 15th Amendment. Yep. Continuing on, Congress passed legislation in 1957, 1960, and 1964 that contain voting related provisions. So the 1957 Act created the Civil Rights Division within the Department of Justice and the Commission on Civil Rights. The Attorney General was given authority to intervene and institute lawsuits seeking injunctive relief against violations of the 15th Amendment. So the ni- 1957, we've got we've got two yeah. departments and also the Attorney General has like authority to basically go after people who are Yeah, like sue people. Yeah, I yeah, mean, like, people who are, uh, you know, violating the 15th Amendment. Yeah. Like, I kind of want to do, like, a uh, maybe, like, a mini episode on this act. I mean, we could do, like, an entire episode on this act. But, like, I think that's such an interesting... Like, I didn't realize that the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice went back that far. Like, it's older oh, yeah. than the Voting Rights Act. Right. Right. Yeah. The 1960 Act permitted federal courts to appoint voting referees to conduct voter registration following a judicial finding of voting discrimination. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. And the 1964 Act also contained several relatively minor voting-related provisions. So it's like... They're kind of like... They're just building on... They're building on top of each other and like trying to get protections out there and chip away at the issue of discrimination. Yeah. Yeah. 
During the civil rights movement of the 1950s and the 1960s, voting rights activists in the South were subjected to various forms of mistreatment and violence, of course. Yep. One event that outraged many Americans occurred on March 7th, 1965, when peaceful participants in a Selma Montgomery march for voting rights were met by Alabama state troopers who attacked them with nightsticks, tear gas, and whips after they refused to turn back. Yeah, cross that Edmund Pettus Bridge. This is the Correct. one that John Lewis, like the famous John Lewis march. It was really, people were like, you know, like I think it shocked a lot of people who were not already on yeah. board with the movement, like into just how real this was. Right. Some protesters were severely beaten and bloodied and others ran for their lives. The incident was captured on national television. So again, we're seeing like, yeah, it kind of reminds me of like what happened with the Vietnam War, which is like yeah. once it was televised, then it created this massive, oh yeah, uh, anti-war movement. War. Yeah, like, like once you started seeing it, yeah, like because it was always happening, but like once yeah. you see it, once you see you it, know. and then you start seeing like the the body bags like come off mm-hmm. the plane and it's like we're not clearly we're clearly we're not winning this war and then right. here are all these men who are coming home and what have they died for yeah exactly right yeah in the wake of the shocking incident so the the selma march president johnson called for comprehensive voting rights legislation In a speech to a joint session of Congress on March 15th, 1965, the president outlined the devious way in which election officials denied African-American citizens the vote. Yeah. I mean, God, can you imagine in a joint session of Congress having a president talking about voting discrimination? God, what a a different world time and place. What a different... Such different priorities a president sure. had back then. So crazy. Not, so not crazy. denying. So crazy. So crazy. Not trying to explain his $400 million debt that he has to pay. Oh, my God. But, you know, quite simply, the voting rights of our fellow Americans. Of our fellow Americans. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. So that is what led us there. Yeah. Very understand, like, you do epi- a whole series, and they are out there about, like, this era in, you know, the civil rights era leading up to the Voting Rights right. Act. So the- right. that's just, like, a little tidbit of it for you. And what's interesting, because at the same time that this is, like, happening, you also have the Civil Rights Act happening yeah. at the same time. Yeah. And so it's, like, they are two different things, but they yeah. can sometimes be confused for one another because, you know... These are two big pieces of legislation that are basically coming out by the same leaders. Yes. You know, in the same time period. But they are, you know, this is obviously very specifically dealing with voting voting and discriminatory voting. Whereas the Civil Rights Act is taking on a much broader (laughs) issue. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So. Tell us about the original 1965 Act. Oh, my God. I would love. Okay. So the. (laughs) I'm on my fourth cup of coffee. The original Voting Rights Act from 1965 was signed into law by President Lyndon Johnson, and it aimed to overcome legal barriers at the state and local levels that prevented Black Americans from exercising their right to vote as guaranteed under the 15th Amendment of the Constitution. Love. Love. Great. What a a beautiful 
mission statement. Yes. Extending the franchise, guaranteeing as much as they could that the state and local level governments would face some kind of consequences were they to continue preventing black Americans to vote in the way that they had been. The voting rights bill was passed in the U.S. Senate by a 77 to 19 vote on May 26, 1965. I, you could not get 77 members of Congress. No, to do anything. The Senate to do anything. No, no. Like Like this controversial, aside from like confirming the naming of a post office. Sure. But like something like this. Are you kidding me? We would never, never. We would never. W.E. would never. Would never. After debating the full bill for more than a month, the U.S. House of Representatives passed the same bill by a vote of 333 to 85 on July 9th. I feel like we see a little bit more of, like, parties crossing the line in the Mm -hmm. House. Like, you'll see see ones where it's not, like, not everything in the House passes on party lines. Yes. The major things probably do, but you see a lot more stuff passing... With a bipartisanship than you do in the Senate. You mean now? Yes. Yes, these days. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, these days. Historically, no, it's it's different. But right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So Johnson signed the Voting Rights Act into law on August 6, 1965, with Martin Luther King Jr. and other civil rights leaders present at the ceremony. Love it. Love it. That was all coming from history.com. So the next couple notes are going to come from the Department of Justice. There are 19 sections of the act, and quite frankly, I just did not feel that they all needed to be discussed. Sure. Because it's We'll just a talk lot. about the meat of it. We'll, we'll talk, talk about, about the, the meat. meat of it. The juicy um, parts. Yes, yes, yes. Considering that section one is just naming the bill. The title. The title. You know, it's my favorite. It's my favorite thing when the first, when the first section is simply the title. The, the title. articles of confederation are the same thing. Article one. The title. The title. The title. And it's like, absolutely correct. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Article two. The author. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there are 19 sections of the original act. We're mainly going to talk about the two that are most important because of what they what they set out to do and because mm-hmm. for a long time they were effective in those goals. And as we'll talk about later, the they were the two sections that were basically struck down by SCOTUS. So section two of the act, which closely followed the language of the 15th Amendment, applied a nationwide prohibition against the denial or abridgment of the right to vote on the literacy tests on a nationwide basis. Among its other provisions, the act contains special enforcement provisions targeted at those areas of the country where Congress believed the potential for discrimination to be the greatest. So this is where, like, this is the part that was so bad that they struck down because you, for, you know, if you have, basically the act was saying, like, if you have a history of discriminating against Black Americans and, you know, basically taking away, they're not acknowledging their their right to vote and you're holding them back from voting, if that's your history, mm-hmm. you have to answer to us and you are not allowed to do that anymore. And mm-hmm. we will and we're gonna enforce it. we're going to be on it. you. Yeah. We're going to be on you. And they named mm-hmm. specific states and actually specific counties. Like, I think Brooklyn and Manhattan were also, like, in the original sure. naming of, which, like, yeah, great. We were not Absolutely. always. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So that's section two. So that's a super important one. Under section five, jurisdictions covered by these special provisions could not implement any change affecting voting until the attorney general or the United States District Court for the District of Columbia determined that the change did not have a discriminatory purpose and would not have a discriminatory effect. So they're basically like, you can't do anything until you get my approval. Yeah. My approval being the attorney general or the the district court for D.C. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm kind you, of like, yeah. Yeah. Because you lost the privilege to be able to do something yes. autonomously. Autonomously, Alabama. Because you've been Alabama. I mean, just to name one. Of just to name one, there is a whole list. Yep. There's a whole list. Yep. In addition, the attorney general could designate a county covered by these special provisions for the appointment of a federal examiner to review the qualifications of persons who wanted to register to vote. Got it. Yeah. So basically, like, if the county, if people wanted to go register in their county, they there were certain ones that were, like, they were appointed, like, a federal person to, like, ensure that those qualifications were not discriminatory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Further, in those counties... <laughs> I love it. Go further. Let's go. Let's go. Let's take it one step. I love it. Yep. In those counties where a federal examiner was serving, the attorney general could request that federal observers monitor activities within the county's polling place. So if they thought that, like, something fishy was going on in these counties, Mm -hmm. they could send in a federal representative and be like, no, it's it's cool. I'm just going to watch. Show me what you're doing. Just going to make sure I'm just nobody's gonna sit here. doing anything funny. Mm-hmm. 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 I'm all about it. Yep. Two very important Hold their feet to the, the fire, man. Act. Yeah. They're not going to do it them themselves. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about amendments to the Voting Rights Act, because there have been some. Yep. So first we're going to talk about 1970 and 1975. This is all coming from still the Department of Justice. So Congress extended Section 5 for five years in 1970 and for seven years in 1975. With these extensions, Congress validated the Supreme Court's broad interpretation of the scope of Section 5. During the hearings on these extensions, Congress heard extensive testimony concerning the ways in which voting electorates were manipulated through gerrymandering, annexations, adopting of at-large elections, and other structural changes to prevent newly registered Black voters from effectively using the ballot. Congress also heard extensive testimony about voting discrimination that had been suffered by Hispanic, Asian, and Native American citizens, and the 1975 amendments added protections from voting discrimination for language minority citizens. Yeah. Love it. So they Great. like, what basically what happened, they were like, okay, this has been out there. Let me hear how it's going and how we yeah. need to revise it. Yes. And how then we they... need to fine tune it. Yes. Do we need to protect more people? And they yeah. did. They like had they this did. testimony. People came forward and they were like, it still sucks out here. And yeah. you know what? It sucks for other people too. Right. And Congress was like, interesting. Thank you for bringing this to our attention. Here are some more protections for you people. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. To think that this is how the government used to work, where they, they like, heard feedback and were like, cool, we're going we're gonna to fix it. Right. And then they did. did. Insane. Yeah. So that was 1970, 1975. And now we'll talk about 1982. 
So Congress renewed in 1982 the special provisions of the act, triggered by coverage under Section 4 for 25 years. Yeah. Congress also adopted a new standard, which went into effect in 1985, providing how jurisdictions could terminate or, quote, bail out coverage under the provisions of Section 4. Furthermore, after extensive hearings, Congress amended Section 2, so that's one that we talked about, to provide that a plaintiff could establish a violation of the section without having to prove discriminatory purpose. That's huge. Like that you yeah. that like you don't have to prove intent by the state, the city, like whoever you were discriminated uh, uh, you know from, like whoever was doing mm-hmm. the discriminating. You don't have to prove that that was their intent as long as the effect was you're, that you, you were got, discriminated yeah. in your ability to vote. Right. That's, right. That's huge. It's huge. <laughs> yeah. It's huge. Yeah. And then finally, in 2006, Congress renewed the special provisions of the act in 2006 as part of the Fannie Lou Hammer, Rosa Parks, Coretta Scott King, Cesar E. Chavez, Barbara Jordan, William Velasquez, and Dr. Hector Garcia Voting Rights Act Reauthorization and Amendments Act. I mean, I love that all of these people are listed, but what a title. What a title. I'm like, we couldn't have just, like, given them each, like, their own piece of legislation. They're like, no, no, no. Who else can we put in this title? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, all right. Yeah. The 2006 legislation eliminated the provision for voting examiners. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Got it. But great. They're 2006. Yeah. They're like, we're renewing it, and it's yeah. still going on. Still going on. They took out the one piece of it that was about, you know, basically, like, examiners in the polling places. Right. Okay. But, like, the for, like, all intents and purposes, the Congress in 2006 was like, yeah. Loving this. Yeah. This is going to stand. And this is also 2006. This is Bush. Yeah. This is Bush. Like, Bush, like, he was like, all right, sure, I'll sign that. That sounds good to me. We're going to take a quick break for a little word from our sponsors. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, 
Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. So the Voting Rights Act, like we've mentioned a couple times, has, it's been to SCOTUS, I think definitely the most recent time it was in front of SCOTUS was the most important. <laughs> yeah. By far. Um, but I'll it has, say. I'll adventure to guess. But it has been, I think, a couple times. We're just going to talk about this most recent case, which is Shelby County versus Holder, as in AKA Eric Holder, as in mm-hmm. the Attorney General, who was... In place under Obama. Yep. So this is coming from uh, a New York Times article by the great Adam Liptek. So in Shelby County versus Holder, the Supreme Court effectively struck down the heart of the Voting Rights Act of 1965 by a five to four vote, freeing nine states, mostly in the South, to change their election laws without advance federal approval. Thanks, SCOTUS. Thank you. Love you. Cannot wait. Oh, I see exactly who wrote this opinion for the majority. Cannot wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To hear what he has to say. Oh, yeah. So the court was divided along ideological lines. Shock. I am shocked. Shock. Shook. I'm not. This is an earthquake. I don't feel steady. Mm -mm. Our SCOTUS? Come on. An ideological lines? unheard of i'm verklempt so they were divided on ideological lines and the two sides drew sharply different lessons from the history of the civil rights movement i mean of course learn spin take what you want ignore what you don't and the nation's progress in rooting out racial discrimination in voting so they just (laughs) like you know they the two sides looked at it very differently and you know this is one of those it's a it's a five to four vote and yeah. Kennedy was in the majority on this one, obviously. At the core of the disagreement was whether or not racial minorities continue to face barriers to voting in states with a history of discrimination. So they're yeah. like... So it's like, it, like, do voters still face discrimi- discrimination? Yeah. Yes or no? Right. Based on their race? Yes or no? That's what they're having to say yes or no to. And the five who looked at that and said... And, and voted to... You know, the five in the majority basically looked at that question and was like, no, there's no discrimination. I see none. I don't see it at all. I don't see. Show it to me. No, show it to me. The four in the minority were like, are you? Oh, my B-A-N-A-N-A-S? God. Are we in the same country? Yes. Are you here in U.S. Have you left the house? Yes. Any any day of the week have any you left day of the, the house? Week. Do you travel outside the Beltway? Have you been outside DC? Have Do you, you taken have you taken a drive <laughs> to anywhere? To anywhere. To anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So Chief Justice John Roberts wrote the opinion for the majority. Of course. Of course he did. He 
did. He's like my greatest nemesis in this, in my life. Because it's like, I mean, I'll let you read what he wrote, but I'm just like, this is classic Robert's bullshit. Classic. This is one of those decisions where if I ever sat down for a cup of coffee with John, which Mm. God willing will happen, I would be like, before we get into gerrymandering, John, I just need you to walk me through where you're not seeing discrimination based on race in the voting sector. Yep. Where where were you pulling from? <laughs> Let's start there. And then I would sit back with my tea yep. and just listen to the bullshit. It's so interesting because he's, it's like, you know, he's been a swing vote recently. And then now, you know, that Amy Coney Barrett is probably, is like going to get confirmed and we're going to be in a 6-3 situation. Yeah. There's like all this hypothesis about what he's going to do. And is he going to like make it a 6-3 court? Is he going to side with the other, with the, the, you know, more liberal justices at times? And I just like... There's no, there's no, one of my favorite words, there's no through line to him, I feel like. There is no through line. His only through line is like, do not make waves. Like, if it's going to make waves, I feel like he doesn't really want to do it, except when he's made waves and then wants to, like, balance that out. Yeah, I'm like, as somebody who doesn't want to make waves, I'm like, this, this is a huge wave (laughs) that you made in this decision. It is, And you also wrote the opinion for it. So it's like, it's, that's what's even frustrating about him. It's like... Yeah, you don't want to make waves, but the 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 decisions in which have made waves, almost 80% of them you have written the opinion yeah. for. So yeah. it's like, like, I'm not even, I know that, you know, all the justices who are in the opinion generally sign off and are like, I concur with this opinion. Yep. But like, this is you, John. What what you're about to read, that's all John. It's all John. It's not like Clarence came in and was like, let's throw in this sentence. John was just tip-typing away on his little computer, and he was like, this is actually what I feel on the behalf of the majority. Yeah. And that's why I hold you, John, accountable. <laughs> I'm just... Yeah, no, you should. I mean, his this is like one sentence from his opinion, and I'm just like... Well, because it sums up... Just read, read the sentence. Read the sentence. Okay. Here's, here's the sentence from the opinion that will just simply make your spine tingle and with anger. So quote, Chief Justice, Chief Justice John Roberts says, our country has changed. Groundbreaking. While any racial discrimination in voting is too much, Congress must ensure that the legislation it passes to remedy that problem speaks to current conditions. He's basically like, it's all fine. And if you want, an, if you want to keep addressing this, what you see as an issue Congress should pass a new piece of legislation, which is bullshit because this is happening in 2013 when Mm -hmm. the Congress had revisited this act in 2006 and re-upped it, renewed it, and it was signed by the president. Yeah. Basically, John Roberts has decided this actually was too much. In my opinion, there's not enough racial discrimination to back up having all of these protections. So you need to come up with a more diluted, protective piece of legislation against voting discrimination. To me, I'm like, it's not unconstitutional. You're yeah. basically just saying there's it's like it's it's just too much. But is yeah. it unconstitutional? 
I'm just like, I don't, I don't think this is a great opinion. It's not a great opinion. It's because it's if like, it was unconstitutional, it would have been struck down in 1974. Right. You're just basically saying discrimination doesn't really exist in the scope that it does. And I'm like, sure, we don't have separate bathrooms. Yes, of course. We don't have the water fountains. Yes, of course. But for you to just ignore the fact that racism has not gone away, but ha- it happens to have gotten much more nuanced. Right. It's ignorant. Well, and also, if we spent our time in Congress, they can't get anything done. If you spent your time in Congress writing specific legislation that was like, here are all of the enumerated things that you are not allowed to do. A, if you are hellbent on like, fi- on like discriminating against a, a particular group, you will find a way to do it that is not specifically enumerated in this make-believe bill. Right. But two, that's why they write these things in a kind of a broad way so it can protect more people, but so they don't have to go back and revisit these same issues over and over and over again. That's why they yeah. renewed the bill in 2006 because they were like, yep, let's let's keep going. This seems to be working. Like, is it perfect? No. Does it no. need some, like, updates? Probably. And they did update it, right? Like, th- they took right. out the voting examiner thing. But, like, to say that, like, Congress should just write a specific bill that's more appropriate to our times? Honey. Right. And I'm like, you, John, <laughs> who do- who doesn't want the Supreme Court to become a legislative body... You're legislating. Mm-hmm. He's legislating because he revoked the legislation. If he had let the right. legislation stand, that's actually like doing nothing is maintaining the status quo, is letting right. the legislation stand that Congress has passed. So like you coming in and being like, actually, nah, we're going to get rid of it, is you effectively writing and, and doing legislation. Mm-hmm. I'm very angry I'm like, you're about only, this. You're only supposed to decide if this is constitutional or not. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, based on that sentiment alone, and I'm, and you know, these things are 70 pages, these opinions. So I know yeah. that there are other, you know, things yeah. laid out for sure. Yeah. But just the simple fact that like you thought it was offering too many protections, basically, mm. you know, to, to general, to in general protections. I'm like, that's not something that you're applying to every piece of legislation that's passing. Is this too... Yeah. Like, like, could this be done in a more nuanced way? Yeah. What? Sure. Sure. But that's sure, not what sure. you're here to decide. <laughs> right. Exactly. That is not your job. You could have made it a 5-4 decision the other way. And in your dissent, you write, I, you know, we still need these protections. It is my hope that the Congress revisits this act and provides more specificity for yep. our current times or whatever you want to put in there. That would have been yep. an appropriate way, appropriate way to handle it. But yeah. like this? No, 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 no. I'm just like, I'm just like, I wonder if you still feel this way, John. Well, it's, I mean, it came at, like in 2013 when we had had Obama for like, he was in his like fifth, fifth year. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm sure there's a little bit of this, like, underlying, like, I don't know, we got a black president. Sure. And, like, black turnout was really high for Obama. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, and there's, I'm sure, like, maybe that was playing in the back of his mind. But it's like, right, these people came out in droves and, and like, 
voted for a man who they thought would best represent their interests again, right? Like, he, mm-hmm. he, they came out to, like, re-elect him after they came out to elect him the first time. But in spite of all of the discrimination, in spite of that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, in spite of all of the things that have been, that are in place, either directly to keep, you know, certain types of people out or through gerrymandering to, like, make their vote count less, right? Like, yeah. all of these people came out and voted for him, and it's like, you know, that doesn't mean... <laughs> <laughs> that is no something very protection. obvious right it doesn't mean that they no longer yeah. need protection and that like racism like structural racism is dead that does not right. mean that right so that's that's chief justice john opinion. roberts <laughs> give me the dissent so just to say quickly the five justices were who voted to strike down the voting rights act were justices antonin scalia sure Let's allow for a shock and awe. Anthony Kennedy, Clarence Thomas, again, and Samuel Alito. They joined to the majority opinion. Justice Ginsburg was joined in dissent by Justices Stephen Breyer and Sonia Sotomayor and Elena Kagan. We thank you for taking a stand. So Justice RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, stated in her dissent that, quote, the focus of the Voting Rights Act had properly changed from the first generation barriers to ballot access to second generation barriers like racial gerrymandering and laws requiring at large voting in places with a sizable black minority. She said the law had been effective in thwarting such efforts. So she's Mm -hmm. like, yes, I agree, Justice John Roberts. There has been a change in our country. But it's yes. not total discrimination to no no discrimination. She's right. like, we've gone from Jim Crow era laws of like literacy tests and making people quote the Constitution to racial gerrymandering. Mm-hmm. There's nuance. And that doesn't mean that there is no discrimination. It just means it's different. Right. And it has changed because this has forced some change in the like yes it is better sure yes but it is certainly not gone and certainly not a problem but the reason there has been improvement is because this act is working yes yeah (sighs) justice ginsburg further stated that quote the congress was the right body to decide whether the law was still needed and where congress reauthorized the law in 2006 by large majorities President George W. Bush, a Republican, signed the bill into law, saying it was an example of our continued commitment to to a united America where every person is valued and treated with dignity and respect. Yeah. Close quote. It's literally this is this entire opinion of this case is undermining the legislative and executive bodies. Yeah. Because because the five in the majority decided that it was yeah. not necessary, even right. though the the our our whole legislative process had had gone through it properly, yeah, and had decided the people had decided, yeah, through their representatives signed into law by the president. You're taking away the will of the people mm-hmm. by saying that like we just we don't think we need it anymore. Like the right. egotist, like the ego to think that like. I know better than the people in Congress and the president and the American people who elected right. all of these bitches to get to these offices. Right. It's like the ego on you. 
Yeah. So this is still from uh, the New York Times article by Adam Liptak. Uh, These are his words, quote, Texas announced shortly after the decision that a voter identification law that had been blocked would go into effect immediately and that redistricting maps would no longer need federal approval. Changes in voting procedure in the places that had been covered by the law, including ones concerning restrictions on early voting, will now be subject only to after-the-fact litigation. So there's no preventative measures anymore to protect people. You can only afterwards say, hey, I didn't get to vote in this last election, and here's Mm -hmm. why, you know, Civil Rights Office of the Department of Justice. So, you know, can you help me out here now? Like, even though I didn't get to vote in this election. But the fact that Texas, like, was like, great, here we go. Like, we're signing all, like, all of these laws that we had on the books that we've been planning on implementing. I mean, this is what's going to happen if they strike down Roe v. Wade immediately. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's why they they have trigger bans all over the place where it's like, once this goes down, this goes up for sure. But what's interesting to me about this, what Texas did after that, is the part where they redistricting maps no longer needed federal approval. Yeah. And, you know, which is obviously, you know, where we get, we're getting gerrymandering from, like, as a cause of of no longer needing federal approval and then of course you look at the gerrymandering decisions made not what a year or two ago where chief justice john roberts was like the congress needs to write legislation we as the courts don't deal with this anymore and i'm just looking at this being like congress dealt with it congress was dealing with it and you said it was too much so honey where is the consistency where is the precedent you literally, you literally will not hear gerrymandering cases in front of the yep. Supreme Court because you do not believe the courts should have an involvement in it and yep. that it should be up for Congress to legislate. Yep. And yet, when there was specific legislation in place to prevent gerrymandering, you struck it down for being too much. So, John, we're having coffee. Tell me, which one is it? Yeah. I beg of you. We want to know. We want to know. Drives me crazy. No, there's, I hate, I hate when like things are inconsistent. I like, I, yeah. I would rather follow an argument that I disagree with that I think is wrong, but I could at least have some respect for the person making the argument if their argument is logical and if their arguments over time have consistency. There is no sure. consistency in this. Especially yeah, so. when you put it up against other types of court cases that's that dance around a similar issue. Yeah. Like, you're not consistent, babe. And you were the ones writing the opinion. So it's like, yep. help me help you. Yeah. But let's talk about while it was, was the act a success? So this is coming, we're coming from History.com and the Department of Justice here. Although the Voting Rights Act passed, state and local enforcement of the law was weak, and it often was ignored outright, mainly by the South, and in areas where the proportion of Black people in the population was high and their vote threatened the political status quo. Yeah. Yes, of course. Yeah. Still, the Voting Rights Act gave African-American voters the legal means to challenge voting restrictions and vastly improved voter turnout. In Mississippi alone, voter turnout among Black Americans increased from 6% in 1964 to 59% in 1969. 
That's unheard of. Crazy. Crazy. A 50% increase in voter turnout in in just five years. Crazy. But but the act didn't work. We don't need it anymore. Oh, my God. Too much. Too much. Too much voting. Stop, 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 stop. So according to the Department of Justice, quote, soon after the passage of the Voting Rights Act, federal examiners were conducting voter registration and black voter registration had a sharp increase. The cumulative effect of the Supreme Court's decision, Congress enactment of the voting rights legislation and the ongoing efforts of concerned private citizens and the Department of Justice has been to restore the right to vote guaranteed by the 14th and 15th Amendment. The Voting Rights Act itself has been called the single most effective piece of civil rights legislation ever passed by Congress. That is what the Department of Justice thinks about the Voting Rights Act. That's not me. No. That's that's not you. That is the Department of Justice. It is the DOJ. Interestingly, the like they haven't updated that page since 2009. So like Of course not. That was their 2009 feeling and sentiment before before Trump. Scotus killed it. And before Scotus killed it in 2013. Right. Yeah. Right. And I'm just like, I'm sorry. If 4 years ago the Department of Justice is saying this is the single most effective piece of legislation of civil rights legislation that we have ever passed. Yeah. And you're going to come out and say, "Ugh. I just I don't do see the discrimination. It's a little much. Like I don't know, guys. No, guys, my one black Coming friend does not hot. seem to have a problem. Like It's I... Clarence, you know, like I like I don't know what's going on. Yeah. I I don't yeah. know. It's This is still, I mean, there's so many, as you know, the Supreme Court drives me up the wall and will for many years to come. Yep. Yep. But like, especially, I mean, obviously, one of the most upsetting opinions that I ever read was when John Roberts was like, "Mm, it's not for the courts to decide gerrymandering. And I was just like, ah, and then to put that up against his opinion for this, I'm just like, where what? are you coming from? Yep. Give me some insight. Yeah. I wanna, I wanna know, I wanna understand genuinely. <laughs> like, like my great the only thing that will bring me peace in this world is yep. to sit down, <laughs> is to sit down with Chief Justice John Roberts and hash this out. Yeah. I don't think I don't think I will walk away necessarily believing that the Supreme Court can't hear cases on gerrymandering and the Voting Rights Act was too much yes. and that discrimination is not present. But I have to know how we got from A to B. John. John. Yeah. John. Yeah. I agree. <sighs> I concur. But guys, that is our episode on the Voting Rights Act. If you like what you heard, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Get Civical. As I said at the top, you can rate us, you can review us, and you can subscribe to us. We love you so, so much, and we will see you next Wednesday.